0: Hello again and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana and hosted by yours truly, Pastor Dan, with the able help of my daughter Bethany. Each week we study the Bible together with you and it is always with the goal of knowing God's heart and mind with all of our own hearts and minds. Our hope is that through this study you get a chance to participate more completely in the benefits of an active involvement in a church community but we genuinely hope that you will be served by this offering and also seek a relationship with people in a church community in other words don't let this be the only thing you do this is one way that we reach out to those who aren't able to participate regularly in everything that we do at the church but it's still vital to be part of a Christian community to urge each other on towards godly things. This is episode 20 of our study of the book of Revelation. Now we're currently studying this book with uh, a deliberate intent to just see the beauty of the scripture and to take it at face value. And yes, it does in some ways give us things to look for during our times. But if you were looking for one of those Bible studies where we are sensationalizing the book and trying to tie it to current events or just giving ourselves another reason to feel miserable about the times we're living. Well, that's, that's not this study. That's not what we're about here. But we are at chapter 9, and this episode 20 is recorded on uh, August the 26th, 2018. And uh, after a psalm reading and some prayer time, we'll get right into it, chapter 9 of Revelation. <laughs> Today's psalm reading is uh, Psalm 21. Psalm 21, and uh, it is a, uh, uh, one of those psalms that is written for the director of music, a psalm of David. The words come to us this way from the New International Version. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him his heart's desire And have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings. And placed a crown of gold on his head. He asked you for life. And you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Through the victories you gave. His glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him unending blessings. And made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the most high he will not be shaken your hand will lay hold on all your enemies your right hand will seize your foes when you appear for battle you will burn them up as a blazing furnace as in a bla- blazing furnace the lord will swallow them up in his wrath and his fire will consume them you will destroy their descendants from the earth their posterity from mankind Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. You will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise you your might. we come into our study that you would be exalted the goal here is to know your heart and mind and to exalt you to lift you higher and in our estimation and to put you in a greater place of authority over our lives by understanding your great majestic genius and understanding your control over all the universe all that is in existence and and understanding the perspective you have on it all We begin to understand our place in things and the remarkable love that our Creator shows for us and the intimacy of your relationship with us despite the biggest things that we can even roughly estimate, you know, trying to think of things that are so much bigger than our scope and yet you still have this personal interest in us. It's too, really too much to take in sometimes so we we sing with the psalmist of your praises and give you thanks for all the victories you give us that we don't really deserve but we get them because you love us so we love you back Lord help us to hear your voice as we speak to the Bible and the Bible speaks to us amen From the sons of men for evil they against you father but it's a plot they Well, here we go now. We've uh, had our time of worship and gotten ourselves all settled in and comfortable. I hope you're in your favorite place to listen to the podcast and you've got your mind and your heart ready to absorb God's Spirit somehow, some way through this study. Uh, that's our goal, as always. And uh, I have Bethany sitting next to me right now. So, uh, Bethany, you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay, then uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 9 today, and uh, that is uh, the fifth angel, right? So we've already talked about the angels, and uh, uh, we've got the uh, uh, first four kind of sorted out, and uh, these will be referred to as the trumpet judgments. That's kind of what, you know, the, the classic language of Revelation, everything's... You know, we have the seal judgments and we have the trumpet judgments. And, you know, either way, this is the this is the uh, the thing that we heard announced a couple of weeks ago when we were reading where Jesus is, is God has said it's time to begin. There's this great ceremony. There's this great celebration. There's this grace, great awe and uh, wonder in all the universe as the only one the lamb who is capable of executing god's final plan of judgment begins the process and so now we're there and this is as i said chapter nine and the fifth angel um you want to read to us um Let's just read this the way it appears on the page. Let's read verses 1 through 6 and then talk about that and then go on. So do you want to take us there for starters? Okay. Chapter 9.
1: The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on earth and were given power like that of scorpions On of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months, and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them.
0: Okay. Well, you know, so I'm, I'm remembering the last time that I visited this, uh, this particular passage, and, and I'm thinking that I pretty much decided the last time I read this, that literally another one of these giant fragments has hit the earth, And this one is literally pierced down into something the Bible calls the abyss. And something has been released. Now, our regular listeners will probably give me a pass on this. But I had promised people that at some point I was going to start dealing with some of this stuff in in ways that might surprise you and I'm going to tell you right now that I personally have come to the conclusion based on what I've read in Genesis and what I've seen of the story of the fall of Lucifer and all of this and all of this comes from Scripture okay nothing I'm talking about is taken from outside of Scripture and I get the impression that the concept of Sheol is real um, I don't know how else to say this because it sounds pretty absurd, but if you believe that, if you've already accepted my belief that somehow, uh, John has gotten into Dr. Who's blue box and stepped outside of space, and if you're already with me there, then maybe this won't seem so strange to you. But there is a real strong sense from scripture that certain demonic beings have literally been confined to someplace within the earth like way deeper than we can go and if you study a little bit just basically sixth grade physical science class you know they'll tell you that the crust of the earth is like 25 miles deep and then there's what comes after that the the next part um i just went blank but but basically, we've never really penetrated. Geology is not a strength. Okay, well, th- th- you know, and I apologize to everybody for even starting on something I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. But but what I do know is is that the deepest hole in the ground that we've ever dug is I only. I think there's magma. Yeah, so I don't think that that men have ever tunneled deeper
1: than the crust.
0: Than say, you know, a few miles into the. And the fact is, is like the the really deep diamond mines in South Africa. Are incredibly hot and and the people can't work down there very long at all because they get to a point where it's just too daggone hot and and so you know the fact is is that I like going into caves and I like you know uh, here where we live in southern Indiana there's lots of neat caves and all of that's fun but we're not going very deep into the ground now as a uh, as a truck salesman truck parts guy years ago I used to visit a lot of rock quarries and mines I've been as deep as a 1,000 feet under the earth in a mine. And it's still not that far. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's really nothing. Um, You know, a mile is 5,280 feet. So, I mean, we're really talking the 25 miles is just beyond our ability. So, So when we think about the depths of the earth, when we think about what's down there, there is a sense that we are really ignorant of what's down under. Now, I read stuff and I watch YouTube and I, you know, I look at the internet like everybody else. And I know there are people that believe that the earth is flat and there are other people that believe that the earth is round and there's actually an entrance at the poles where you can get into the inner earth. And there's all kinds of crazy theories out there. But then... There's always those parts of it that are actually somewhat plausible. Now, I really can't buy into the flat earth theory myself. But what I'm driving at is, is I believe the Bible describes a literal place inside the earth where these demonic forces that were cast out of God's presence, the third of the heavenly host who had rejected God and followed Satan. And we think of Satan as a person, but really Satan is a, uh, there is a leader, Lucifer, but there is also this sort of accusing state of being that we call Satan or Hasatan. So anyway, my point is, is that I have read this passage for the last five or six years believing that it's describing a shard or something coming off of this, this asteroid that we've already kind of described, this object from space, and somehow I think this one pierces the place where all of these demonic things have been confined, and they escape. And as we read further, you'll begin to understand at least why I have come to that conclusion. You may not agree with me, but this is spooky stuff. And... If you believe that Genesis chapter six describes spooky, weird creatures that used to walk the earth until God said no, this is not gonna happen anymore. And so God does a complete cleansing of the earth, uh, not of sin per se, not because the people were bad, but he's cleansing the earth of a very bad strain of genetic ugliness, you know. So there's, and the fact is, is that the waters, that flooded the earth came from inside the earth as well as from above the earth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's a sense that, you know, when it all washed away, God just sort of washed the ugly people or creatures down the drain and there's where they are. You know, they're down in, in the earth's, you know, depths and it's a curious thought. And, uh, it's not, it is not so outrageous that you won't hear others giving the same answer. But if we could imagine for just a moment that, we're already accepting that all of these events that he's witnessing are real and they do happen, and we've already found it plausible that a space object hits the earth, and we've already described all of the things that were in the previous chapter within the context of a space object hitting the earth, then it could be just as reasonable to believe that somehow this piece of star falling from the sky opens up the place called the abyss where those evil creatures And hideous things live.
1: But it also says he. He. Yeah. It says that the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss and when he opened the abyss. Okay. Which makes me question whether it was a piece of the star or if star in this case is describing an angel or like a fallen angel or...
0: Okay. And that's plausible too if you think about it because it would then describe... Uh, The fact that uh, for a time, the Antichrist, effectively Satan, is going to rule the earth, at least for a little while. Mm -hmm. And so this would seem like uh, the he being the one who needs those demonic, ugly, awful things to accomplish his purposes uh again uh and and i love it because someone has commented to me this week that they really like the idea uh, i think it's going to be in your reader mail this week but um that they like the idea that the revelation from a certain point is just genesis in reverse from a certain point and so you get the feeling that we're looking at a return to the chaotic awful time uh that's within that gap that we see in the very beginning at genesis 1 and 2 and and uh so yeah it's kind of fascinating but so what we see being described here i believe is literally an opening of a uh jail yeah a you know a releasing of demonic prisoners from a place where they've been held captive uh, that isn't to say that these are all the demons that exist or all the horrible demonic creatures that exist, but, but this is, this is like, uh, a, a whole, uh, uh sort of group of particular creatures yeah. that has been restrained.
1: And you know, I feel really strongly about bugs and the fact that it's locust just makes me itchy and want to scream because i hate bugs i guess hate's a really strong word i don't like bugs
0: well there are
1: not very many bugs that i can find good things about
0: and these aren't just your garden variety are like
1: hell locusts (laughs) i don't know any other way to describe that
0: well let's see verse seven says locusts that looked like horses prepared for battle
1: terrifying
0: on their heads they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces and their hair was like a woman's hair and their teeth were like a lion's teeth and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle they had tails with stingers like scorpions and their tails in their tales, they had the power to torment people for five months. and They they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon, that is the destroyer. So perhaps Apollyon is the one who went crashing to the earth and broke open the, the seal to the abyss.
1: Although, if he's the angel of the abyss, then was he in it, or did he break it open?
0: I don't know. But, listen to these locusts he's describing.
1: bugs. Bugs as big as horses. Bugs that sound like some kind of Greek mythology creature, monster, like a chimera or something.
0: You know, sometimes when I listen to, particularly Daniel in the 70 weeks and that, mm-hmm. that that those chapters where he seems to be writing um, apocalyptically yeah um, it sounds like he's describing tanks and helicopters and things like that but that's not what i see here this sounds like some sort of hideous Monsters. demonic bug we've never seen before
1: it, it really does sound like something out of a greek myth yeah like just like this weird combination of creatures all mashed together and and they're bugs as big as horses they're they're
0: bugs from hell (sighs) and and these guys when they get you you suffer terrible torment and and you know again let us keep in mind that as near as we can tell by what seems very straightforward the church is gone at this point so this is some of that stuff we're probably not going to see uh but but, but it is a time when all heaven is out of the picture for the most part, and all hell is breaking loose. It, it seems as though. And so we do literally have this this horrific kind of creature horde coming from the earth. And and I, I mean, I think the reason I went off on the whole tangent of like a shard of this thing cracking open the earth was because I was really hung up on the image of a a shaft that has been opened from the very deepest depths of the earth you know beyond the crust beyond whatever and literally hell not hell but hellish demonic creatures coming out in such mass that they look like smoke coming out of a volcano i mm-hmm. mean this has to be one of the most terrifying sights And, you know, it's funny because you were talking about Greek mythology, but I was thinking more about science fiction. Um, You know, we live in an age when when modern movie-making technology is over the top, and there's really nothing they can't make look like it's happening for real on the screen. And I am absolutely blown away at the idea that some of the things we recreate with fantastic technology in the form of images on a screen Could actually be seen in reality by some people. And if I were seeing such things, I would keep trying to remind myself that this is real and not just something I'm seeing on my TV or in the movie theater. I mean, we're so used to seeing these things recreated that when we actually see these things in reality, it's almost too unreal for us to grasp. It's like, no, 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 this only happens on TV, this isn't really happening maybe maybe that's what people were thinking at 9 11 you know i think i was i i think that that it was sort of surreal to be watching on my tv as the world trainer trade centers are collapsing i'm watching these buildings fall down and i'm thinking that that can't really be happening they make that kind of stuff happen on the movies all the time but i know it's just on the movies this this actually happened and it and I watched it and I realized that as I'm watching this building collapse I'm watching thousands of people die mm-hmm. at the same time and and it's it's really like you said brain buffering and and can you imagine that compared to this this that makes 9-11 seem like peanuts this is incredible this is this is, well keeping in mind that the earth has already been fantastically unbelievably upset by the crash of an object that has wiped out a third of the earth the minute it hit the ground. Yeah. And so we've already got this, the devastation of the seas, the devastation of a third of the earth with populations been devastated. Those who are still alive are living in uh, a state of creation. Uh, I, I say creation, but the created things are, they're living in a state of utter uh, chaos and destruction and then this this plume comes up and it's a combination i imagine of the dust thrown up by the impact Mm -hmm. and these horrific beings that are now tormenting those who are still alive so we're hearing about something which should be
1: really awful because they're not allowed to kill them. yeah so you're just going to be tormented for months on end
0: and then then we have this apollyon uh, abaddon uh who is an angel whose job is to command the creatures of the abyss. Uh, That's a bad angel.
1: (laughs) I would say, yeah.
0: You know, not a good angel, the destroyer. Um, That is kind of terrifying. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then verse 12 just says all by itself in the middle of the two paragraphs I'm looking at, the first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come.
1: It's like the eagle in the last chapter. You know,
0: this and you're, going you're thinking, to what, you. isn't this bad enough? No. <laughs> that it's, it's just going to get Two more. Harder. Do you want to read about those?
1: Okay. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number.
0: Hmm. The six angels sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar of before God. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had kept ready for, have been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. All right. So, so first of all, the Euphrates is a real river that still exists Mm -hmm. and is still called that. And in my opinion, when it comes to the names of rivers and and oceans and things, generally those don't change over even thousands of years because you know it's it you know it's like like Hitler you know kind of rewrote German history, but he didn't rename the Rhine, you know so even the worst dictators of all history don't rename certain things because they just are always known for that or well, whatever.
1: you, you know. need them to be the same.
0: You know, we can redraw uh, lines around countries and states and things like that, but generally, rivers and mountains have a tendency to keep the names that were given to them a long time ago. So it doesn't surprise me that. The Tigris, the Euphrates, and, you know, these kind of rivers that managed to keep their name. The Nile, mm-hmm. you know, they managed to keep the same name from 4,000 years ago to the present, you know. So, this really is the Euphrates. And if that's the case, then what that tells us is wherever that big rock hit, it wasn't on that side of the earth. Yeah. So, we can already kind of guess. I mean, they're
1: angels. They'd probably be fine. But, yes, I'm gonna, I agree.
0: Well... I'm just saying because the
1: Euphrates is still there, I guess. So
0: you know, at, it it seemed to just at taking it face value, it would seem as though that part of the Earth was not struck by the big rock, uh, presumably.
1: How many how many angels were put at the gates of Eden? Two.
0: Two. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, because I've heard some some theories about the Euphrates and Eden and how. Yeah. And I was just thinking four angels who are bound to the river euphrates are probably not like lesser angels
0: well those Terabim, they're pretty i'm
1: thinking that they're the warriors they're big
0: bad dudes you yes. know i mean they're big good dudes but they're
1: but bad yeah they're as in like scary mammojamas. yeah <laughs> yeah
0: i don't know why but i always think of that guy from from uh, the thor movies you know <laughs> heimdall, heimdall. <laughs> i i don't i don't want to do like disservice. yeah i and, and and you know you don't cross heimdall no. it, he's there to protect that entrance and he does and i get that impression here only we're talking heimdall times five or whatever yeah, yeah he's really something and and uh i don't know if i in the spirit of steve of uh, c.s lewis You know, it's okay to mix these these images because he believed that all of these different legends were meant to help us come closer to God. And, you know, if we could hear of God and understand things about God through the legends and the stories, then it would make us more receptive to the real truth about the real God and the real Savior and all that. So that was C.S. Lewis's approach. Well, I also
1: always kind of picture, well, they did a really good job of what they look like in the movie version but in lord of the rings in the fellowship of the ring they're going in the movie version they're going down this river and they, they pass these massive huge statues of these warriors mm-hmm. and aragorn says that they were placed there as guardians yeah. and i always kind of picture the cherubim like that and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they just come to life and they're ready and they're t- i mean these are huge like yeah. And that's I always kind of picture that. I
0: I don't know. I I would even go so far, um, and you know, I may lose a lot of our friends with some of the things I'm saying today. But this is how my mind works. And of course, today I happen to preach a sermon about how we need to listen to each other, hear each other's hearts, and then not disagree. Because, or, or I should say, we should we should disagree about different things, but not in a way that separates us right. from each other. That's the point. So some of you might you might listen to me, but and say, oh, "Man, Pastor Dan, you you've got this freaky side, you know, you <laughs> you've got this weird sci-fi side." Um, but what what really I'm getting at is is that I think that that there are parts of Genesis and parts of Revelation, in particular that kind of give us a sense of how some of the stuff we imagine isn't entirely from within our minds as much as it is part of a reality that's hidden from us. You know, in other words, we can imagine it because there is something real, you know. um,
1: I think something that lends credence to what you're saying, and I think I've talked about it before, is that if you pull origin stories from multiple cultures from all over the world they tend to be very similar they have a lot in common and it's really wild because a lot of times what they have in common also sounds a lot like genesis yeah a lot so i think what you're saying like there's a reason why different culture stories sound really similar and what you're saying about like maybe the reason we can think of those things is because maybe it's not that out there it just is out there for us now
0: you know i'm gonna go off on a dangerous tangent here you know i i've always liked star trek and yet i'll be the first to tell you that the premise of star trek is so not biblical and not really consistent with judeo-christian thinking Mm -hmm. and i only say that because i love star trek but there's basic premise of star trek is is that somehow humanity rises above its deranged and evil nature and and so, you know and and the fact is is that that's such a uh, that's such an improbability that they found that the only way you could keep the franchise going was to constantly create humans and other creatures who were still ugly mm-hmm. you know so so i just say that as you've heard me say it before but the interesting thing is, is if you watch the old original Star Trek series, their technology was as, only as interesting as they could make it given what they knew then versus when you watch the 1980s and 90s version of it and you see that they've created far more advanced looking set designs mm-hmm. based on their what they were able to imagine in the 19, late 1980s and early 90s. And then now we got the movies and uh, the sort of revisits to Star Trek with yet another set of cast members, and they've reimagined it with the kind of technology we can imagine now. So my weird point that I want to make is is that we can only imagine and expound upon what we already know, Mm -hmm. and that we really can't you know, we can imagine certain kinds of technologies, but our only frame of reference is what we have now. And so to try to imagine things we've never seen before is pretty hard, which brings us back to what John's trying to do. He's trying to describe stuff to us that he's never seen before and that, frankly, have never been seen before. So, So he's trying to describe things that have never been seen before, but then for some reason, we can only design movie sets and CGI graphics that envision what we've seen before. And that includes things that we haven't seen before when it comes to certain creatures and certain, am I making any sense here? I think that there is not just a sum of knowledge that we have obtained, but there is also a sum or a limit of knowable things. And within the knowable things, we have a memory. We have sort of a collective memory of what can be known.
1: There's an idea in psychology of the collective unconscious. Yes. And that's exactly what you're describing, is that there's something, there are some things that we don't even realize that we know as a group. Right. That we know as a group, They're, they're under the surface.
0: Yes. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's this collective consciousness and a collective subconsciousness and, you know, in, in religious speak, we might call it the Holy Spirit in, in certain ways, but, but it seems like when we're trying to comprehend things like uh, the really obscure and, and mysterious writings in the Bible, one of the things we have to do is recognize that we may be envisioning things uh, and imagining things with some memory that we don't know we have, mm. <laughs> you know, which is kind of out there, but mm-hmm. this book is out there. Uh, so let's see, verse seventeen. We uh, the number of mounted troops was twice. Okay, so it said that the sixth angel, who had a trumpet, released the angels who are bound for the great. Re- okay. And kill a third of mankind. Okay, so. so
1: we're really dwindling right now.
0: <laughs> well, so we've already lost a third. Right. Which means that we are now down two thirds. Which means that a third of the creatures, uh, people living on the earth, and presumably all the animals and everything else, because we already saw a portion of the ocean and all of its sea life destroyed and everything. So we're down to a third of the present humanity. Um if we believe in a rapture and we believe that it happens before the seals are broken then they've already lost a significant population before all this started Mm -hmm. so those alive on the earth at the time after these judgments there's not that many compared to now Mm -hmm. um yeah, I guess that's all I'm going to say about that. I was tempted to go off on a tangent again, but I think, I think we have all had enough of Dan's tangents for a while. Uh, the horses and riders in my vision looked like this. The breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. What? Yeah. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury.
1: Hmm.
0: So, what do you think we're seeing there? Is it another demonic creature from down in the abyss? I
1: would say so
0: and it's these like guys a
1: lion headed centaur with medusa tail
0: yeah and somehow oh, they funky. either cause you pain or give you a plague yeah uh wow well, and
1: so just to clarify because it says a third of mankind and i think it's the same third but if it's not then i assume i'm going into math and it's going to make me feel weird because i don't do math but Every time it's a third, it's a third of who's left. So it's not like a third and then 2 thirds and then it's a
0: th- Well, you're, you're You know what I mean? You're a correct.
1: So we're we're still losing a lot of people
0: and and I I confess that I fell into that trap a few minutes ago <laughs> when I said because you know, let's face it, I'm a theologian, a philosopher or whatever math. and and math was never my strong suit, but But I am sort of realistic in the way that I do what I call practical math. And so shame on me for not saying that. (laughs) Well, you know, I thought about it. I actually did. I thought for just a minute, I thought, you know, I really shouldn't say then this is the next third because really it's a third. It's a
1: third of who's left. It's
0: a third of the two thirds yeah. that were already there. So so we're still losing a lot of people. So the earth is down by one third and then the existing population is reduced by a third.
1: But I do find it reassuring that the one sealed by God and the one, you know, uh-huh. it's not counting them.
0: 144,000. And, uh, and we don't know, I, you know, the way it's described, you know, and I think that little aside is really remarkable, because it also shows all these people flooding into heaven, who were saved, you know, and so you realize that that those 144,000, they're busy during all of this,
1: but I, but I do wonder, like, they're the ones that are sealed. So the ones that they're saving
0: aren't necessarily aren't protected. necessarily
1: protected from the stuff that's happening but they're but going the good news is is that they're going to heaven
0: right exactly
1: it's horrible but they're assured of at least that
0: yeah and i think that's the point yeah it, it you know it's a great observation we we're both headed in that direction but i like the way you said it better it just it's a it's a um it's kind of a, a beautiful thing that that in the midst of these horrors and and you know those people are going to suffer terribly mm-hmm. but when their suffering ends and their souls depart their bodies they're going somewhere thanks to the evangelist yeah. you know um you know the people are not left helpless um although they probably felt pretty hopeless
1: yeah wow
0: uh yeah and then verse 20 uh and twenty-one. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, and their sexual immorality or their truths. Uh, truths. Thefts. Thefts. thefts, <laughs> thefts, thefts. You know, if people could see the way I'm doing this, they would <laughs> laugh because, you know, I have to lift my glasses up in order to read the screen carefully. Um, my glasses and the height of my screen kind of mess me up. <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting is, um, and I'm, I'm really tempted to go off on uh, on a tangent. I, I don't want to say tangent again, but, but I, I'm tempted to say, okay, here's an interesting thing is, is you know, what what are they worshiping? What is it they're doing? But I think that a better way to maybe start is to say we, assuming, and you know, I'm going to do this because we're taking this a week at a time, so I'm mm-hmm. probably going to do this almost to the point of being annoying. But if we take what we already know and cumul- accumulate a, an understanding, we get to the point where we don't think the church is there anymore. We don't think, therefore, the Holy Spirit is particularly involved. And yet we have the evangelists who are saving these people and they're sealed and protected for a time and uh but we have all these demonic creatures coming up from the abyss and we have all hell breaking loose on earth and uh and all of this is going on and what are people doing to respond to it you know um they're doing what people did back in the other times when we were so terrified by nature by uh things that were more complicated that you know did, did the Native Americans uh, feel that they were being oppressed by evil gods from, you know, the abyss when they were encountering white people who had so much advanced technology? And, you know, they're seeing things they've never seen before and they're being overwhelmed and overpowered by them. They're killed off by plagues within the first couple of years of encountering these, these visitors from far away. And, you know... So what I'm saying is is that there's only a couple of ways you can respond to that. You can appeal to the God that you understand, and, or you can begin to worship what seems to be more powerful than the God you understand. So I, I think that what we can also sort of imply from this last couple of verses is that we've gotten down to the dregs of humanity. We're down to the worst of the worst of humanity because most of them have been destroyed, most of them are gone because of, say, a rapture-type event. Um, those who are, are being uh, saved, you know, even in the work of the evangelists, are not lasting very long, you know, either because of all the plagues or because of the evil that's out there. And so this, this picture that's being given in those last two verses, the 20 and 21, is basically a really evil humanity that is worshiping anything and everything worshiping themselves in a certain you know but then we are really talking about a post-apocalyptic culture we're Mm -hmm. talking about a survival culture yeah and lord knows we've made enough movies and written about 10 times more books about that kind of thing because we're always curious about the human condition under those uh circumstances and and so it's not hard for us for us to imagine what those two verses describe. You know, um, a kill or be killed uh, survivalist society. Mad Max. You know, yeah. Where some people put themselves in the position of gods and sort of lord it over others, where life is cheap and a person could be killed for no particular reason in a second. And, you know, so, so that we don't have much trouble imagining. It, it's funny because of all the verses we've read, the last two verses are probably the ones that we find the easiest to imagine. You know, because we saw it after Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. I was listening to some gentlemen talking the other day. They were just talking loudly, so I couldn't help but hear them. I wasn't overhearing them on purpose (laughs) or anything. But one guy said he'd just come back from from a vacation trip to New Orleans. And I forget what ward he mentioned as far as the name, uh, but... He said that there are certain parts of New Orleans that are just off limits now. They just don't let people go in there. And it really is kind of a no man's land. And if people do live in there, you probably don't want to be caught by them. So we've actually, right here in our country, a decade after Katrina, I think it's been almost a decade. I think it's been... It's 2005, so it's over. Over a decade, yeah. yeah so, was- so after this Hurricane Katrina disaster in New Orleans, we have still places in that area that have never recovered and they are just like a post-apocalyptic place Mm -hmm. you know right there inside you know the county (laughs) i mean it's kind of amazing really Mm -hmm. or what they would call a parish but uh you know so it's not like we can't imagine verse 20 and 21 but well okay so i've talked a lot what about you what are your side what are some of your thoughts on this as you go um you know i i I don't know i
1: feel like a broken record because i'm just really glad that i won't be there
0: yeah yeah and we really need for that to be true (laughs) i i don't know that and and you know what you and i might have to do this this is where our listeners can help us decide when and what to do but Maybe we need to take a time out and do just one episode on the Harpazo yeah. or the Rapture, um, because we really just grazed through that. And well, it's tricky
1: to talk about it because it's not explicitly laid out anywhere in what we're reading.
0: Right, and if we'll if we'll visit that, maybe we can we can have a special episode about the the Rapture or the Harpazo, and we can kind of you know help people understand why we keep saying we're pretty sure we're not going to be there for that Um, we are not the kinds of scholars or even pastoral broadcasters that i know who excel at talking about these things on radio and in videos and all Mm -hmm. that just we're not that and so we really are you know going to visit it with uh, a a relative amount of ignorance we're going to study it and talk about it from what we know but i'm not ready to go on you know a stage and have some kind of of, debate with the people who really study this stuff because i've listened to those guys and some of them spend an awful lot of time criticizing their colleagues Mm -hmm. who disagree with them about whether it should be a post uh tribulation rapture, or whether it should be a mid-tribulation rapture, or whether it's a uh, pre-tribulation, and then there are the people called all um, all millennialists who really just don't believe in any of it, that they think we're already sort of, you know, living in the the glory days, or whatever, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of crazy ideas out there, and I say crazy Unfortunately, I shouldn't use that phrase, but what I'm really describing is just a lot of people.
1: There's a broad spectrum. There's a
0: broad spectrum. You always have more delicate ways to say things than I do. But, Spin doctor. But <laughs> the fact is we got a lot of ideas out there. But I am a pre-tribulation person, I think, by default, because I just keep seeing the church represented by the lampstands there before the seals are broken and
1: i think that's also the god that i've come to know yeah in my
0: life you know and and they not if,
1: that i don't think he will like he'll we've we're talking about job yeah he will allow suffering but i just i don't know i don't
0: well and and we are experiencing you know people there are people who believe like for example the people who believe in a mid-tribulation rapture believe we're already in the third, uh, the first three years of the uh, rapture, or rapture, I mean the, the tribulation. tribulation. So because there's the tribulation and then and there's the great tribulation and the mid-trib people believe that it's going to be before the great tribulation that the church has pulled out. And so a lot of them you'll find and, you know, like I said, these people, these people are all over YouTube because because I'm fascinated by all the things I see on YouTube. And and yet with my mind thoroughly trained to do critical thinking, I can watch it without buying it. You know, I can just observe and listen. But but what's interesting is, is that that some people want to be right. And some people are like you and me and just would prefer for the, the less horrible thing to be true, you know. Yeah. And and so I'm not going to lie. I would prefer to be right about pre-trib, altogether pre-trib, because I don't really want to go through any tribulation. And yet the reality is is that life's full of tribulations, mm-hmm. but these are extraordinary tribula- tribulations. And what's really remarkable is, is that we, we're going to unpack this and discover that if extraordinary tribulation could then be turned into great tribulation right i sure wouldn't mind at least getting out of here by mid-trib <laughs> and and then i there would be
1: really happy to not be here when the giant bugs come out of the earth
0: yeah right so
1: i would really be happy to not be here I'd it's, like to be in heaven by yeah. then.
0: <laughs> so, I don't like little bugs, so. You know, I, I'm feeling like we need to do a harpazo. <laughs> uh, I'm going to look at the scriptures and kind of see if there's a place where we can take a day, yeah. uh, an episode, and devote it to the tribulation, or not tribulation, but the rapture. And uh, I'll, we'll try to give that. It's just desserts. But uh, you got anything else you want to say about this? i don't think so okay
1: this was was a pretty um dismal (laughs) chapter
0: well so eagle was right yeah the eagle was right that's remember last week well all right so we'll, we'll take a little uh momentary pause while you get out your listener mail and uh we'll visit this week's listener mail and uh so So we're just going to, to take a moment of pause here before we wrap up. Okay. So you got some listener mail today, uh, this week that you wanted to share. Um, we didn't get anything through the Facebook page, uh, group and, uh, so I thought maybe you'd like to share what you got. This is okay. from, from a, a friend of ours in the church who mm-hmm. is a regular listener. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so um, the listener mail this week says thank you both for doing the study which is very nice. Thank you for saying that. Um, I've never brought myself to actually study it before now. I know it wasn't the right time. I found great revelation throughout the study, so thank you. I feel it leading me back to Genesis 2, 8-16 after the breath and before the fall, I just had to share that I'm using my critical thinking skills, um, and that's where I'll leave off on that. So um, I also pulled that scripture up because mm-hmm. I thought it might be good to read that. Um, so Genesis 2:8 to 16 says, "Now the Lord God has planted a garden and had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food." In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It's when it winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The gold of the land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. So that's Genesis 8, okay. 2, 8 to 16. I love it. Yeah, it's especially interesting because we just read that the people in charge of the Euphrates just yeah abandon their posts. abandon
0: their post <laughs> so
1: yeah it's it's interesting um because we've been talking about how things in genesis seem, that happened in genesis and were formed are, are slowly unraveling
0: you know and and i'm gonna i'm gonna take a chance here and just say that i and maybe this is just my subconscious maybe it's the devil trying to accuse me or something but But honestly, I want to remind people of our approach. Don't forget, we understand that there are other ways to interpret these passages. I understand that there are reasons to think that the Euphrates and the cherub who guard it are, you know, metaphors, or they're guarding something that we don't see now, which is paradise, and I, I get all that. But we've committed ourselves from the beginning of this study and now we're on episode 20 and we're still holding to our original commitment. The commitment is to take the passages as we read them Mm -hmm. and to not try to do anything except hear the word as it's given to us and to envision what it seems to be describing. So there's a purpose to what we're doing and a methodology to what we're doing. And so, you know... Uh, I like that our listener is using the critical thinking skills to just apply that to what we already know. As as it has been said so wisely for many years by many good scholars, there's no better interpreter of Scripture than Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so good for you, listener, for your wisdom and your wit.
1: And, yes, (laughs) and I would also add that if you have a different interpretation, that's when we want you to tell us. Yeah. Tell us write in and tell us about those things and we can share them on here because that is Bible study.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, because um,
1: otherwise it's just our, our interpretation.
0: And I will say that I am in, in the very early stages of hatching some new uh, virtual Bible study options that we might try. Uh, our youth minister at the church and I, student ministries director and I, have been talking about ways that we can create more virtual classrooms Uh, where you can interact with each other, share a video. You all watch it at different times, uh, you know, as you're able, and then have certain due dates when you're going to all submit your various comments and questions so that you can, so we'll probably have a moderator for each class. But so we're really taking this interaction with you seriously. The fact that you're writing us and communicating with us at church and stuff, it means a lot to us because it's even forming how we're going to proceed in the future at Shiloh with other opportunities for virtual study because we want to go wide at Shiloh and not tall. We're not trying to build bigger buildings. We're trying to build a larger church, a wider church. And we understand that in today's age, there can be uh, at least origins of a church community on these uh, online venues. And so this whole podcast has been an experiment in that for me. And the experiment actually precedes the time when Bethany started helping me with it. I've been playing around with this for a few years. And if you go back far enough, you can hear some really ugly podcasts <laughs> that I made back in the beginning. Because <laughs> when I first started doing this, it was not pretty, but I was learning. So anyway, I want to thank you very much for listening. And uh, we just want to say God bless you, you. You bless us. And we're honored by this privilege. And we look forward to seeing you in person at shiloh united methodist church if you can't come why look us up online learn more about us at shilohum.org that's s-h-i-l-o-h-u-m.org and uh, you can also um, use the facebook link that's in the description of today's podcast to join our facebook group so let us know how you're blessed by this but for now god bless you and goodbye Music